Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Hey, welcome back. It's Stephen Holder here with another edition, another episode of Horseshoes with Holder. Back here for week 14 of the Indianapolis Colts season. I can't believe we're already at week 14. It feels like we were in training camp uh, just a few weeks ago. But man, the season has blown by. It's been interesting. It has run the gamut from 1-5 in five to, hey, they're going to the playoffs to, eh, we'll see. <laughs> So it's been interesting coming off that six nothing game to the Jacksonville six nothing loss to the Jacksonville Jaguars. That is one of the more, uh, I guess, unexplainable losses I've ever been associated with. I don't even know where to start. Uh, it it it's kind of a throw the tape out game <laughs> because maybe you're just allowed to have one of those every year, and if there is one, this was it. Uh, it was just. All bad. I mean, there were some positives to take away on defense. Certainly, uh, they dominated Cody Kessler, so there's that. But uh, man, this was not uh, the the team was unrecognizable. The team that I saw on Sunday was unrecognizable. I don't know who they were. So, anyhow, let me give you the rundown of what I got on tap for you today. Obviously, I'll recap the Jazz game. I think there are some important takeaways there. So. I got some thoughts on that that I want to share. Uh, I want to revisit the offensive line, which is kind of loosely related, obviously. Um, I know how that looked on Sunday, but I want to give you some perspective on that. Uh, We'll talk about the Houston game. Big, big game coming up. If the Colts want to have any shot at the playoffs, this is a must win. And we say that a lot. This is a must win. Uh, We'll talk about the playoff picture a little bit, what's going on there. And then I want to give you a little bit of a a little bit of a window into what's going on with Kamoka Ture. I think he's an interesting guy, and I think he's someone uh, that is one of the keys to this defense being successful in the long term. So I think he's worth talking about. I had a little interesting conversation with him uh, this week, and I'll share the substance of that with you. So back to the top. Let's go back. Let's talk about Sunday. Uh, what do we make of this, right? Uh, that was... Nothing like we saw, certainly over the last five weeks when the Colts were on uh, that winning streak that was just a lot of fun. And they're lighting up the scoreboard. They looked like they were a team that might be dangerous if they get into the postseason. And and then they run into this Jacksonville team that's just in total disarray. 
firing play callers on one day has their top running back suspended the next day. I mean, in no way, under no circumstances should this have happened. But this is a reminder. This is the NFL and crazy things happen. Uh, I mentioned at the top, you know, is this a throw the tape out game? Uh, Yeah, it feels like it. In other words, like this wasn't them. They had a bad day and maybe this is a one-off, right? I I think there's some truth to that. However, however, you cannot completely discard this because there are some important takeaways. There's important lessons that they need to go back and sort of examine here. And the first one, there's three of them in my mind. The first one is, frankly, the loss of Jack Doyle is really going to hurt this team. Now, I'm not breaking any news when I say that. I know you knew that. But we saw it really highlighted in vivid terms on Sunday. And so here's here's where it matters. Let's go back to earlier in the season. I got a lot of questions as to why Jack Doyle was playing so many more snaps than than Eric Ebron. Eric Ebron's a touchdown machine. He should be out there 80 snaps a game. What is Frank Reich doing? Okay, well, now you have your answer, okay? Eric Ebron played, I believe, 80% of the snaps on Sunday. And what do they have to show for it? Not a damn thing. And I'm not putting this on Eric Ebron. Of course I'm not. What I'm trying to, the point I'm trying to make is Jack Doyle's role in this offense goes so far beyond what you see in the passing game. And so, you notice the running game went nowhere. Look what happened in short yardage. They're trying gimmicky stuff, try to pick up a yard or a half yard. Why is that happening? Well, in large part because the the running game is stymied without Jack Doyle because, well, first of all, you're missing Ryan Kelly. So there's that. And that's not that's no small thing. So so that help, that hurts your, your push up the middle. But also, from a play calling standpoint, all right, do you you have to understand how losing Jack Doyle hurts you. What happens is now, if you're Frank Reich, you've got total flexibility with Jack Doyle in the game because the defense has to respect him as a receiver. They don't know what this guy's doing when he's lined up off the off the right or left tackle. Okay, It is just as likely that they're going to throw him the ball as it is that he's going to go and block down on a, on a defensive end because he can do that, right? It's, it is totally... It is equally likely that either of those two things will happen. Now, they have compensated by using an offensive tackle to block for him, and that's all well and good. The problem is the defense looks at Joe Haig running out there and reporting as an eligible tackle, and they're like, okay, it's a run. I mean, there's no mystery. None. None whatsoever. And that right there really restricts your play calling because you, you're calling that play knowing the defense knows that that guy is not a threat, okay? So that's one less player they have to defend. Well, there are only 11 guys out there, okay? So, and only so many of them are eligible to begin with. So that changes things. And it's it's a huge, huge loss because it's not as if, he, it's not just that he's, you know, a guy who's, who's eligible. It's also the fact that he's Jack Doyle. He's shorthanded in third down situations. I mean, who, do, who would you rather throw the ball to on a third down than Jack Doyle, right? And so it's no surprise that they were about you know 24% on third down, despite being number one in the NFL in, in that category this year. So this is where the Jack Doyle injury really started, to, I think, to show up and to really uh, 
I think this this game really demonstrated, I guess is what I'm saying, how much they're going to miss him. I don't really know how they compensate. There's not an easy way. Now, the Jaguars were like the absolute worst team to play without Jack Doyle, okay? Because their strength is right up front, okay? But that being said, it's it's not going to necessarily be a non-factor just because they're going to play defenses that aren't as talented in the coming weeks. Uh, this is going to be a problem, and the timing was bad here. All right, they're, they're here fighting for a playoff spot, and they're missing who the guy who is by far, okay, by far their absolute most versatile player on offense. That's a problem. You know, Frank Reich's a good play caller, okay? He is, but it sure as hell helps to have versatility out there. Uh, that makes a guy who's a, a smart play caller, that makes you better. And so now he doesn't have him, and it's going to be tough. So the second lesson coming out of this Jaguars game, and it's related to that last statement, Frank Reich has to learn from this game. I think most weeks I've come on here and I've said, man, Frank Reich is putting on a clinic. And he has. He really has. The one thing that happened this week, though, was he repeatedly got outsmarted and outcoached. And he admitted. He admitted to that. Uh, there were instances in this game, I'll give you an example, uh, on the... On the, uh, I guess, couple of plays, really. The fourth down, two fourth downs, the first two of the game. On the goal line with Jordan Wilkins, they they were not anticipating that play being a shovel pass at all. And it obviously didn't end well. They didn't necessarily execute it flawlessly from what Frank Reich said. But you saw them go with the shovel pass there. And I, I know you probably, like me, scratched your head like what the hell kind of play is that at the goal line right but uh here's the thing there were there were three options on that play they couldn't avail themselves of the previous two and he didn't get into what they are he's trying to protect his competitive advantage right he's not going to tell me the playbook I, I get that but what he did say was there were two other options but they could not avail themselves of those other options because of the way the Jaguars played them and, and where their personnel was lined up. So that was an issue. Uh, then there was the subsequent fourth down, okay, on the following possession. So Colts turn it over there, force a quick punt, get great field position. They're in business, right? But then they end up at fourth and one. It's a half yard to go from the 31-yard line. They run the jet sweep to Eric Ebron, and I just was floored. Like, what the hell are you doing? But uh, that was another one where... Uh, the Jaguars played that a little differently than they anticipated. And so they got stuffed and Eric Ebron lost two yards. So that happened on several other occasions. And Frank Reich admitted to that. He really seemed to not have answers. Okay. I, I think we have seen so many times this year where maybe the offense had a bad first down or a second down. And, you know, here they go third and long. And you're like, man, they got nothing going on here. This, this drive is going to be a dud. And then Frank will cook something up, and all of a sudden, boom, big play. And that's what happens, right? He has always seemed to, to know when to push the right buttons, and he's had such a knack for that this year. And I think it's just been one of the most impressive things about him in 2018. But yet, on Sunday, I didn't see that guy. I didn't see the guy who seemed to always know the right answer, and he consistently got shut down. So here's my question. Can Frank Reich figure it out? 
Can he bounce back? He's going into another division game, an opponent that he's already seen. All right. And that is that's a that's a factor here, too. Right. He's seen teams for the second time. Now, I'm not suggesting that that that's a one sided thing. He's seen these defenses for the second time as well. So there's there's also that element. Uh, but Frank Reich had a little bit of element of surprise early this season. Okay, he had a new offense. No one's ever seen him uh, run his own scheme. Okay, I know it's it's largely based upon what he did in Philadelphia with Doug Peterson, but there are a lot of other elements in here that are Frank Reich's in his alone. So and and Nick Sirianni as well in, in some of his sort of things that he's concepts that he has conjured up. So they had a real element of surprise against teams uh, in most games this season. Even though they've seen the offense and they've seen most of these plays, there's not a big book on Frank Reich as a play caller running this scheme. So that matters. That really matters. And I think you can go back to the Cincinnati Bengals game in week one. And you saw in the preseason, we didn't see anything. And then they came out week one and we're like, whoa, whoa. And they lost that game, clearly, but they put up a lot of points and they they clearly made a statement that day that their their offense was was gonna have to be contended with. They were gonna have to be dealt with, and that was clear by the end of that day. So getting back to the point, can Frank Reich pull it together and figure it out coming off a game like that? I think he can. I'm not suggesting he can't. I, I'm just telling you he has to show that. He's got to prove that down there in Houston this weekend. So we will see. I'll be watching for that in Houston. And then the third takeaway from this Jacksonville game, the skill positions. Okay, we started the season knowing that they were lacking in talent at wide receiver. I can probably live with the running back situation, although the, the short yardage, the short, the inability to, to pick up yards in short yardage is is concerning to me. And, and that's where I wonder if they maybe need to think about addressing their personnel in the long term. But but that being said, uh, the wide receiver unit, I mean, we knew it was bad. Right? I'm not suggesting I'm breaking news here. But uh, they cannot get off of man coverage. And without Jack Doyle, it was really a problem. And so they've got to find a way, uh, I think, long term to address that unit. I think it just was a reminder. I don't think... You needed to be told that they need to address wide receiver, but that was really, uh, I think, the worst of that unit on Sunday. Those guys, they showed nothing against man coverage, and and really, uh, Andrew Luck had nowhere to go with the ball so often, and that's why oftentimes, you know, you saw him holding the ball, and that leads to more pressure, and I mean, it, it just wasn't good. I mean, and, and the one opportunity... They had to make a big play. Dontrell Inman, who's been a nice pickup for them here in the last several weeks. Dontrell Inman completely loses the ball down the field. Andrew Luck throws up a shot ball, a shot play, and he just completely loses the ball, gets turned around, and, and really makes very a very poor effort, I think, to bring that ball in. If Dontrell Inman catches that ball, I think it's a touchdown, and the Colts win. They, they win the game. I mean, they only needed one play. That's the kind of game it was, man. They just needed one person to make a play, one guy at some point make a play, and they probably win. But that did not happen. So uh, I think, again, as I said, a reminder that they're not a good team uh, at the skill positions on offense, or they're not a great team. I, I think they're adequate at 
at running back, but wide receiver, it's bad, and this was a reminder that it was bad. Now, uh, one other thing on the Jaguars game. All right, the offensive line, that was certainly not good. Nothing to write home about. But here's what I'd say. Uh, I've seen worse, okay, and I know you have too, from this team. And the other thing is what you have seen the previous five weeks, that like wasn't real. Okay, <laughs> so what you saw from this team where the quarterback's not getting sacked for four straight games, okay, that doesn't happen. That's not the NFL. So if they have, a, you know, sort of an average day at the office, I'm willing to live with that. And that's what I think Sunday was against a really good defense, mind you. So if they have, if they come back to, if they come back down to earth on a day where they're playing a, a team like that, I can live with it. Uh, it's not what you want, and it, it certainly wasn't a step forward, but that's kind of how it looks in the NFL. I mean, quarterbacks get hit. There's pressure. It is what it is. I, I didn't really have any any huge criticism of the offensive line other than to say uh, they are capable of much better. Now, I, I think the edge, the tackles on the edge have got to be a little more sturdy. That That was surprising to me. I haven't seen that kind of pressure. And Anthony Costanzo, you know, had some snaps that he really liked to have back. But he's been really good this year. I, I can't criticize Costanzo. Um, if he has one bad game, I'm, I'm okay. I can live with it now. He's got he's to bounce back. Okay, he can't go do that against Clowney and, and Watt this week. Uh, he, he's got to bounce back. And Braden Smith, big challenge for him. Okay, he has to bounce back. He's got to sort of focus and, and lock in. This is big for him. Uh He's going to see Clowney quite a bit. He's going to see Watt. And so they've got to figure this out. And uh, they got to lock in. But the offensive line, I, I still think they're going to be fine. But it's about consistency. So this can't keep happening. they got to, they got to bounce back. And they got to buckle down. So uh, we'll look forward here a little bit to the Houston game in a sec. Uh, we're going to take a break and hear from our sponsor. All right, Colts fans, we have a great deal for you. Let me tell you guys about TickPick, this amazing app to buy tickets to any game, concert, or other event. Are you looking for tickets to this week's game and want to know exactly what you're going to pay for those tickets? I do, and if you do too, then TickPick and their amazing and simple app is right up your alley. The TickPick app is extremely easy to use, and best of all, there are absolutely no surprises at checkout. Listen, you find the game, find the seat you want, and you're all set. Think StubHub without any fees. You get the same tickets, same seller, but absolutely zero fees. You save 10 to 15% on every ticket order. And get this, for our listeners, they're offering you an amazing offer of $15 off any single order over $99 through the end of the season. All you have to do is enter SB Colts as your gift code at checkout. This isn't a sign-up only offer either. They went all in for you guys. Not only do I use TickPick, but I approached them and wanted to get the word out on this company because it was so stinking easy and nobody likes to find the seats they want, then get that smack in the face at checkout of another $35 to $50 in fees being added. I'll never use another ticket app again. It's very user-friendly and you get the same great tickets with lightning quick ticket transfers. Remember, that's TickPick and use the gift code SBCOLTS to save yourself $15 on any order over $99. Go to TickPick and take advantage of this offer to two-day, 100% verified Colts tickets without any fees. All right, I'm back. So, we've covered the Jacksonville game. Let's spin this forward a little bit. I talked to T.Y. Hilton this week, and I think it's always a good 
idea to have a conversation with T.Y. Hilton heading into a game against the Houston Texans. He loves him from Houston Texans, as you know. He has made a career against these guys. Uh, they have made millions of dollars for T.Y. Hilton, in fact. And so I talked to him this week, and I was like, man, you know, that wasn't exactly you know, a shining moment for you guys there in Jacksonville. And But I said to him, I said, you know, you, him personally, he has always kind of had a knack for bouncing back. And, you know, we can criticize T.Y. Hilton for maybe not being, uh, you know, Antonio Brown or something, and that's fine. But, and, and I agree with that. I'm not suggesting that's, that I have a problem with that statement. But, but he's still very good, and he's still a guy who, who can call his shot, okay? And he kind of called his shot with me this week. He said, well, you know, I don't know if you know this, <laughs> but I always have good games down in Houston. And I was like, is that a fact? Of course I know that. I was kidding. But he made it very clear. He was like, and, and he kind of like said it like fake humble. <laughs> he looked at me like, well, you know, we'll see. But you know, I kind of have big games down in Houston. And then, but that really is not like... T.Y. being humble. That's his way of saying, uh, hold my beer. <laughs> okay. I really think that's what he was saying. Now, words are cheap, but but I will say T.Y. Hilton does have a track record there, and I don't think it's something to dismiss. We'll, we'll see. I, I want to see if he bounces back. Uh, he has he has been able to do this in the past. He has had consistent success against this team. Uh, and the one thing to say about the Houston Texans is, look, their defense is, is very talented. Up front, on the back end, though, there can be plays made against these guys, and the Colts, I think, have proven that. I mean, they they certainly, I think, had their way to some extent with them in the first game. I mean, offensively, they made a lot of plays in that game. The defense did not have a good day, but the Colts' offense made a lot of plays against Houston, and I don't remember uh, the pass rush really necessarily deciding that game. I mean, that that's not where that game was decided, so... Yes, they have J.J. Watt. Yes, they have uh, Clowney, Merciless. I mean, they have a lot of talent up front. Uh, they're well coached. Okay. Romeo Cornell, uh, who Frank Reich is very familiar with, has coached against him in the past. So uh, this is going to be an interesting matchup that way. But that being said, uh, I, I think really this is going to be a, a, a game where the Colts playmakers, they got to they gotta make something happen. And uh, that's going to be one of the keys here. So we'll see. Now, as it relates to the bigger picture, this game obviously has a huge impact on the playoff picture. Can the Colts kind of, you know, make themselves relevant here going down the stretch? Uh, I think they kind of have to win out. I mean, I just don't think any other scenario uh, really looks good for them. You know, I thought, you know, going into maybe last weekend, I thought, okay, Maybe they can get. Maybe they can do this if they if they lose a couple. If they get help, they can still get in. But now I don't know. I mean, the Ravens keep winning. Uh, you've got now the Broncos emerging with a very soft schedule the rest of the way. Uh, I I just think the Colts have to win out. I don't know that they can leave this to chance uh, any other way. And even if they win out, obviously they're not necessarily in, but, but that's really, that's their path. They got to win out now. Can they do it? Yeah, they can do that. Um, but, but they got to start with this game 
uh, on Sunday at Houston, and it won't be easy. So I talked about the Ravens. They are what they're seven and five, so they're the lone seven and five team. They're in sixth place right now. So let's look at their schedule. They're at the Chiefs this weekend. So <laughs> Lamar Jackson, okay, if you're hot stuff, go to Kansas City and win, and then we can talk. So I think they probably lose that one, uh, but that still brings them into a tie with the uh, the remaining teams, assuming the Colts win on Sunday at Houston. So, uh, look, the Ravens are going to be a decisive underdog there, but so are the Colts. Not decisive, but they're certainly an underdog. So, anyhow, Ravens at Chiefs this weekend. Then they host the Bucks. They're at the Chargers. Tough one there. Of course, for the Chargers, that'll probably be a a road game because they don't have a home crowd. Well, that's another story. And then the Ravens finish at home against the Browns, who are interesting and can beat you on any given Sunday, but uh, but probably won't have a lot to play for in that game. So so we'll see what happens. Uh, that is, that's a very interesting last four games for the Ravens. It's it's not easy. Uh, we'll see. I mean, even the Bucks there, the Bucks can score, man. So that's going to be a tough assignment for the Baltimore defense, even though the Bucks are... Uh, a team with a lot of problems. So we'll have to see. I mean, the Colts, meanwhile, look, I I know we talked earlier about the December uh, schedule sort of being uh, manageable. Maybe I didn't say that, but but it certainly that was sort of a a thought that was out there. Well, (laughs) let this be a reminder that strength of schedule and all that jazz means diddly squat in the NFL because now look at this schedule heading down the stretch. It suddenly looks a lot tougher than it did a couple of months ago, right? So Houston, Dallas, okay, one of the hottest teams in the NFL. The Giants, I know how that sounds, but look, the Giants can score. They've got all kinds of weapons on offense. If you screw around, the Giants can beat you. I'm not suggesting the Colts will lose to the Giants, but I am saying the Giants can beat anybody. I'm telling you this. They're getting better. They're showing that they have some talent, and Saquon Barkley can take it to the house on any given play. Fact. So, they've got to figure out, uh, they've got to come in there and handle their business. And then finishing up at Tennessee, uh, I'm not sure where they're going to be at in the playoff picture at that point, but uh, but but Tennessee, you know, you got to go down there and you got to earn it. So, We'll see. Uh, I mean, can the can the Colts win out? I think they can, but this Houston game really is the defining game in that stretch. If they do that, then I am willing to to be open minded about things. It doesn't necessarily get them in, but winning out, I guess, what gets you to uh, ten and six. I mean, that's a hell of a year. Hell, if they get to nine and seven, I mean, what are we complaining about? Frankly, <laughs> I mean, let's be honest, but. Uh, but listen, the playoffs are there, so might as well take a run at it, right? So, so we'll see what happens. I I think the Colts, I think they can make this game interesting on Sunday. I I really really do. And one of the guys who can really help them is I talked about him at the top and told you I'd, I'd give you a little update on him is Kamoko Ture. So he's been a little quiet, and it's been an interesting year for him. He has flashed at times really flashed at other times. And then there are times when he kind of disappears. And so I know you're, you're probably wondering what's going on there, but look, Kamoko Ture is uh, a couple things. Number one, he, he ha- he's been working through some injuries. I think he's healthy now. 
So we'll see how he does. But but one of the things you've noticed, I'm sure, is Taekwon Lewis is lined up there at right right defensive end quite a bit. He's been starting there often and has taken a lot of those snaps. And it's interesting because that was pretty much Kamoku Ture's spot uh, before before Taekwon came off injured reserve. So you know, what's happened there? Well, again, the injury, he missed, I think he missed one or two games. I can't remember. Uh, but certainly that was a factor. He kind of had uh, some, he was on a, he was on a snap count at one point, pitch count, if you will. And that affected him. But the other thing you're, you're kind of seeing is Kamoka Ture uh, against the run is at a disadvantage. He's an undersized guy. And I'm going to tell you how this was highlighted for me uh, earlier this week. So in the Colts locker room, they have these sort of, um, they have these scales on either end of the locker room. And they're like the most sophisticated scale you've ever seen. So they're attached to like this kiosk and they monitor players' weights, right? I'm sure every NFL team does it. So they monitor the guy's weights. They got to weigh in a couple times a week or whatever it is. So you go up to the kiosk, you punch in your PIN number, and then your name pops up on the screen and your profile. You get on the scale and it logs in. It sort of logs your your weight at that given time and goes into the system and they chart that, etc. right? Well, I happened to be walking by as Ture was getting on the scale. And I looked at it. He's a cool kid, so I talked to him a lot, so I didn't feel like I was prying by doing this. I looked at the, the number and it said 239.8 or something. I was like, dude, that's all you weigh? He was like, yeah, man. He's like, that's me. I, I can't keep weight on. I was like, dude, you're a defensive end. You weigh 239? And then so we got into this conversation. He was telling me about how Robert Mathis was telling him, like, hey, man. You know, I played at 235, you know, and I was like, <laughs> yeah, but, you know, Robert Mathis is a freak of nature. So, like, that's not necessarily, you know, the the blueprint, <laughs> okay? You know, it, I don't think playing at 235 is the way to go necessarily, although, you know, he had a Hall of Fame career doing it. Good for him. But how many guys can do that, right? So, so I got to talking with Terrain. He was like, you know, he, he was going to start uh, making some visits to the dietitian and trying to kind of get on track. You, you know, he he's... Trying to put on the weight, he's just not one of those guys. I mean, I was like that when I was young. Now I have the opposite problem, but I used to be that way. I couldn't put weight on, couldn't keep weight on. Of course, I didn't play defensive end in the NFL, so who cares? So, let's see. I mean, this is going to be a challenge for him. I think his body is going to be one of the off-season objectives. He's going to have to, to put you know put some, some weight on, but it's got to be good weight. It's got to be muscle. He's got to... You know, find a way to be able to attack these defensive ends because, or excuse me, offensive tackles. Because until he can do that, then he's not really going to enable Taekwon Lewis to play inside as much as he would like. And that's something the Colts are endeavoring to do. They want they want Lewis to play more three technique. And right now, just based on where they are and based on where Ture is, they're needing him to play early downs at defensive end so so we'll see you know this is always a puzzle piece right you know one guy can play a certain spot but only if if the trickle down effect uh lines up right so if you move lewis inside then where are you at right defensive end right so i think it 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 is interesting uh but certainly taekwon excuse me 
Kamuka Ture is certainly a situational pass rusher right now. And that's okay for a second round pick. I'm not suggesting that's like makes him a failure. <laughs> okay, I am not. I think this kid's got some real talent. But, uh, he, you know, he's got a little ways to go, I think, to put together the full, the full array that he's going to have to show at defensive end. But I think he can do it. And the coaching on this defense right now, I think it's top-notch. I'm going to give Matt Eberflus some props here. Hell of a job. Hell of a job. The defensive coaching staff is kicking ass. I'm just telling you, uh, they have a group of linebackers, okay, that are like kids. The average age is like 22. And this group is slowly but surely developing into a nice little unit, okay? You know about Darius Leonard, certainly. And you know about Anthony Walker, but now you're starting to see guys like Matthew Adams playing more. Sky Moore is a is a guy who has played really competent snaps this year. Uh, I'm saying, I mean, it's really interesting. Uh, that group is such a young young group, but uh, they're showing that they have a lot of upside, and I think they should be really excited about that young linebackers group. The fact that they can play five guys, five, tells you that. Uh, they have something going there, and that has a lot to do with coaching because these guys came in, look, they were talented, and maybe we didn't know it, but they had talent, they had ability, but anytime you got a group that young, for them to play on a defense that, that frankly, is holding its own, uh, that is a credit to coaching. So, you know, if your friends at, at the water cooler at work start telling you about how the, the, the Colts' defensive scheme can't work and all that good stuff, I mean, look, I'm not telling you it's a flawless scheme, but I will say this. Uh, I am on board with these defensive coaches, and Matt Eberflus, that guy's good. I'm telling you, he is holding his own, and that guy is bringing something to the table. So you can at least take heart in that, and uh, we'll see what they do at Houston. I'm going to wind this down here, but this is a huge game, and this is going to tell me about a lot about this team's character, a lot about this team's uh, ability to focus and bounce back and I'm just really excited about this game I think it's going to be very very revealing so that is to that is this week's episode uh, I'm back every week and uh, we'll see I should have a lot to talk about next week good or bad for better or for worse coming off that Houston game so stay with me check me out on the athletic my latest story is on Malik Hooker who I've talked about a lot on here uh, but I got into a lot of the sort of back and forth on you know, is he having a good season? Is he having a bad season? What's going on there? I think Malik Hooker is going to be fine. And I explain why he's not having as bad a season as you think. So check me out there. Lots of discounts, co- discount codes available for subscribing. So I'm Stephen Holder. This is Horseshoes with Holder. Thanks for listening. Stay tuned for next week. And I'll be back with another episode. I'm Spencer Hall from SB Nation, and I want to tell you about my new show, It Seemed Smart. It Seemed Smart is a show about people doing things that, for some reason or another, seemed smart at the time. Those things might include doing a little cocaine and driving a bike up a mountain, or, I don't know, maybe racing 100 miles per hour across the country in the middle of the night with no one's permission, or even stealing a bat from an umpire's room in a Major League Baseball park. Check it out, and if you like it, tell a friend. I'm Spencer Hall. Don't do anything smart.
Hello, I'm Nilay Patel, the editor-in-chief of The Verge and host of Decoder, a business podcast where I interview CEOs about big ideas, the problems that come from those ideas, and how they make decisions. It is also surprisingly about org charts. It comes up a lot. We're launching a new limited series that we're calling the Centennial Series, where I talk to CEOs of companies that are over 100 years old, like Xerox, Barnes & Noble, and more. There's no 100-year-old company that's without its struggles, and it's been fascinating to talk to these CEOs about which parts of these companies' history are important and which parts they can let go. A little spoiler for you, if a company is over 100 years old, there's a lot of drama to talk about. It's been a good time. You can listen to the Centennial series right in the Decoder feed. New episodes of Decoder are out on Tuesday, and the Centennial series is out on Thursdays. Check it out. We think you're really going to like it. You can get it wherever you get your podcasts. Most of the time, we talk about tech in terms of a handful of gigantic companies like Google, Meta, and Apple. But some of the most interesting stuff we find online is the product of a single person. When you're working on your own, I think there's this beauty of being able to come up with an idea and then implement it. Then, in that moment, you don't have to have permission from someone else. There's no red tape. In the Vergecast series, Solo Acts, we'll get to know these people, the tech they use to get stuff done, and the obstacles they face trying to compete with the giants. Some people that I talk to and my friends are like, you know, your competitors are Zuckerberg and Musk. Like, aren't you kind of, like, afraid of that? Every Monday, our friend Ashley Escada will be curating and hosting these interviews and sharing with us what she's learned. I can't believe the McRib locator was originally a tornado locator. Right. <laughs> Pretty wild. Listen to our Solo Acts miniseries now in the Vergecast feed, anywhere you find podcasts.